And I think that what horror can do as a genre is it can take these themes, these either dark themes or even even lighter themes, like, and it can really twist them into something unrecognizable. And in a way, it's almost more human in some ways. And that's what I really like about the genre of horror. My name is David Shire, and this is how it's going so far. And as promised, and as always deliverable, uh, this is the episode where I'm finally going to talk about Midnight Mass. A couple of things have happened during this episode. Uh, recently, I I debated on, like, I have a full written episode that was just about Midnight Mass, but then I decided to change the format. Uh, I had an episode previously recorded, then I opened up my laptop and saw that it was no longer available and I couldn't open it up. Uh, this last week, I recorded an episode, I recorded this exact same episode, and then the audio quality was off in a super weird way, and I think it's because I had too many things connected to my laptop, but it, the audio quality sounded like complete garbage, so now I'm, I had to like get rid of it again. It seems like, for whatever reason, that uh, that I don't... Uh, something out there is making maybe uh, not wanting me to talk about horror and, uh, and all about horror which is what this episode's about anyway I think that I think that uh, I'm still gonna do it anyway I'm still gonna power through even if the powers that be don't want me to uh, I'm gonna keep on I'm gonna keep on keep it on so uh, why did I want to talk about horror specifically last week I talked about mental health and how how important I feel like that subject matter is but this week I want to talk about horror because I think horror um, is a very interesting genre of thing, you know, like I don't, I don't really understand why people are so obsessed with being scared, uh, but it seems like a, a, to be this weird generational thing. Like we're all interested in these ghost stories. Uh, my mom recently got into this, uh, this one YouTuber who's who like t- all he does is talk about weird things that happens over time. Uh, I love watching. Um, recently uh i've been getting into um dear evan hansen like uh for whatever reason uh i saw the movie like a couple months ago and it was a horrible movie it was so bad it was horrifying and (laughs) i'm just tying this in as loosely as possible (laughs) but uh i've been obsessed with like watching these different uh videos about explaining why dear evan hansen is terrible some people are go back and defend the actual play uh, some people are like the play was awful too, and here's why, and here's why the movie's equally as terrible. Uh, but the general consensus seems to be that the Dear Evan Hansen movie could have been good and probably should have been good, but maybe with an overhaul of decisions and directions, uh, uh, it would have been a lot better. And there was a lot of missed potential that they could have fixed uh, with the story uh, that a lot of people are still really upset about. And I just found it so funny that so many people made uh, a video about it. I've just been obsessed with it. But anyway, that's not real horror. What we're going to talk, we're going to do for this episode, we're going to break down three different horror shows, uh, a, a horror show, a horror book, and kind of sort of a horror video game that I've been playing this week. And uh, we're going we're gonna uh, break it all down talk about the genre what makes horror interesting and why uh, this is a genre I very much enjoy going down into so for horror books I think you can't really start anywhere without talking about the king of horror novels uh, Stephen King uh, Stephen King has written I think a million novels at this point uh, I think that that's what he's going for and what's so interesting about Stephen King to me is that uh, his process to 
just like his process on writing is really interesting to me. Uh, he wrote about it in his book uh, on writing, and basically his process for writing is that he he has a set goal of words that he has to write uh, per day, and he just does it. And to me, that is so fascinating. And uh, it kind of reminds me of like the, the Michael Jordan uh documentary where he just he has a schedule he has a set thing that he wants to do and he just does it right and in a lot of ways that is to be uh, commended but uh, the two books that I've read of his that I really liked um, well actually I've read a, a, a fair amount of Stephen King but I'd say that the first book I read that I really liked was uh, Christine now what Christine is about is it's kind of schlocky horror in a way, but the way that Stephen King writes it, I think elevates it in the only way that only Stephen King is uh, can. So the story, what it's about, is it's about this guy named Arnie who's like a stereotypical like '80s nerd, and uh, back when that was like an okay thing to write about, right? And so Arnie ends up purchasing this car. And it was like this uh, 1958 Plymouth, and it's a beautiful looking car. It's really, uh, really good uh, looking, except that, you know, when Arnie buys it, he has to like fix it up, right? And so what the story, what, what's, and then of course it turns out that the car is haunted by the ghost of this one guy's uh, dead brother, spoilers, and uh, he ends up, uh, Arnie ends up becoming more and more obsessed with this car, and this car actually comes to life and starts murdering people that Arnie wants dead. And... But as silly and as dumb as that sounds, uh, every time I think about the story of Christine, I think of uh, uh, SNL, uh, not SNL, Family Guy was making fun of, uh, of Stephen King's process where uh, he said, okay, uh, well, uh, Stephen King, do you have any more ideas? And then Stephen King was like looking around the room and he's like, uh, uh, I don't know, uh, maybe, uh, maybe there's something going on with this lamp. Ooh, ooh Steve, ooh, this lamp is going to murder you in your streams. Ooh. And uh, his uh, uh, his editor's like, you've really run out of ideas, haven't you? He's like, yeah, yeah, I have. And he's like, all right, well, how much do you want for it? <laughs> all right, let's get in there. <laughs> so it feels like one of those Stephen King novels. But I think what makes what elevates uh, this horror and what elevates the book to be something more special is I think that Arnie comes off as a really sympathetic character. And it's very clear from the onset that the book is not really about a car killing people, right? Like, And I think that's what makes horror um, an interesting subject. It's more about it's more about obsession. And what the problem in the story is that Arnie is completely and utterly devoted and obsessed with this car. And because of that, he ends up taking jobs for kind of gangsters. Uh, he ends up he ends up hurting himself in the process. Uh, one of the one of the uh, tricks with the car is that once it goes out and murders people, uh, it comes back severely damaged. And the only way to repair it is to push the car backwards so that its speedometer starts going back. And in this way, uh, all of a sudden the windows start fixing. It becomes like this weird supernatural ability. But when Arnie does this uh, in the book, uh, Arnie's back uh, ends up getting more and more injured. And because of this, he starts walking around with more and more of a limp. And uh, it's implied, too, that the previous owner used to do this, which is why he had a back brace on in the beginning of the book, which I thought was a really interesting detail. And I think that what horror can do as a genre is it can take these themes, these either dark themes or even even lighter themes, like, and it can really twist them into something unrecognizable. And in a way, it's almost more human in some ways. And that's what I really like about the genre of horror um, is that 
is that it has room to explore the, uh, a theme in a different way that you're not used to seeing. Another good example of this would probably be the Babadook and that how that theme kind of explores the idea of single motherhood and kind of makes its own horrifying twist on it. And in some ways, single motherhood is horrifying. It's just like how how you can depict different things and, tr- and turn it and twist it and use juxtaposition uh, to it is, I think, what makes a good horror story good. Like, yeah, I mean, I do enjoy the occasional slasher flick where a bunch of hot teens get murdered in the woods and everything's everything's uh, pretty bog standard. But I really do like it more when a horror story like takes times with its characters, takes time developing them, and really understanding kind of this weird psychological thing that's going on. Because the greatest scenes in Christine, I think, are the more psychological horror things that's going on inside Arnie's mind, uh, and that's what I really enjoy about that story. Now, speaking of juxtaposition in horror, uh, let's go ahead and let's talk about Midnight Mass and what it's about and how it uh, it juxtapositions uh, horror and religion in an interesting way. And so what Midnight Mass is about, uh, just kind of brief synopsis, is that the show starts and we meet a guy named Riley Flynn, and he's experiencing the worst day of his life. Uh, he is clearly just been involved in a car accident. Uh, it's kind of revealed through him talking to police that he is drunk and that he accidentally killed uh, an 18-year-old driver. And as he goes to bed at night, every time he sees visions of this girl uh, as she is dead. So... Uh, Riley ends up going to prison for about four years. He comes back out of it. He has really nowhere else to go. So he decides to go back to his hometown of Crockett, which is uh, this little island town with a population of maybe 100 or so people. Uh, And he ends up he ends up uh, trying. It's him just trying to get back on his feet and trying to give himself a second chance in life. Uh, Meanwhile, uh, the town's church has an older member, uh, John Monsignor, who's the older priest that runs the church. He ended up going on a mission trip out to Israel, and apparently he is uh, he is sick from the mission trip. So the Catholic Church sent in a new a new pastor, uh, John Monsignor, or Paul Monsignor. Sorry, uh, or no, Paul, Father Paul, and so. Paul ends up taking over the church, and as Riley's coming back to town, uh, Father Paul is performing literal miracles at this church. Uh, he's causing uh, people with back issues are now uh, starting to heal up slowly. That's kind of a loose connection to Christine. And uh, specifically, uh, in a major scene, a girl in a wheelchair ends up standing for the first time in years. And so... And so all this kind of culminates together and it becomes this really intriguing mystery and this really intriguing commentary on religion and its place in society. And it's just a story that I really love and enjoy. I think the performances are really, really good and from especially from Father Paul. Uh, he is played by um, let's see. He's played by uh, Hamish Linklater, uh, who has done some other work. Uh, most notably, he uh, played an officer in um, Legion. That was the only other thing I've seen him in. And he was also really good at that. And I think what he brings to Father Paul that makes him uh, maybe my most interesting character of uh, 2021 is that even though what Father Paul ends up doing in the show can be seen in a certain light, um, the way that Hamish always always uh, brings it is that he's always like so innocent in a way like you always you always feel very sympathetic towards him and that you know that he what he is doing he truly 100 believes is right 
And also he just brings this amount of uh, charisma to the character that I really enjoy seeing uh, in, in somebody who does the things that he does. And so... And so that's kind of my base synopsis of it. Let's go ahead and I'm going to go ahead and just jump right into spoilers because I feel like there's not a lot you could talk about with the show. I do recommend that you go into it completely blind, if uh, if nothing else, uh, just to experiencing it. Uh, but the, what the show... Okay, so let's just jump into the spo- big spoiler of the show. What the show is actually about is it's about vampires. And having this idea, this idea of vampirism and religion, I think is just a really fascinating idea Um in of itself. Vampirism uh, from early concepts was really, um, really kind of started during the Black Plague, if I remember correctly. I'm not an expert on these things, uh, just so you know. But from what I understand, that vampirism was kind of originally uh, originated during the time of the Black Plague. And it almost was kind of thematically akin to a virus. And I think combining that idea with religion, which can in some ways be virusy uh, in how it spreads, uh, I thought was a really interesting and fascinating idea. And also kind of seeing like the dangers of untapped like belief is just a really interesting idea and uh in the show they never call it a vampire the main uh the main vampire they call it an angel and it's very clear it's kind of a walking dead situation where um vampire media doesn't exist in this world until uh, it's introduced by father paul and seeing how some of the things that with vampirism is related back to Christianity, just like on a base level, I thought was really interesting and really well done, um, really well done uh, in this show. What I really love about Father Paul specifically is that there's this one scene, um, there's like this one scene that really encapsulates Father Paul's character and what he believes, um, well, really too, is that the way he sees it is... um, in this one scene, he talks about this trip, mission trip that he took when he was a kid. And he ends up talking about how he saw this waterfall on the mission trip. And it was just so deafening in the middle of this forest where there's all these other sounds. It was so deafening that he imagined like what it would be like if every drop was a human life. And how and how if there's just so much death and destruction going on in the world, how could God ever hear his prayers? And so... With that thought in his mind, he said to himself, well, I mean, I'm a vampire now. I don't have to die. So I guess I solved that issue, right? So I thought that was a really interesting take on what he was trying to do. And it does show that Father Paul is always trying to do right. Uh, In another scene, though, we also see kind of Father Paul's big flaw in his character. Uh, The scene is when Riley ends up getting accidentally turned into a vampire because uh, because of circumstances. And Riley doesn't quite know who Father Paul is yet, because it turns out that Father Paul is actually John Monsignor, and that on that trip to Israel is where he found what he calls the angel, and that's what he brings back to the town of Crockett. And so him and Riley are talking, and Riley actually used to be uh, Father uh, John's... uh, altar boy. I know, it's getting kind of confusing to talk about, but he used to be his altar boy, and uh, he used to... um, Father Paul used to deeply care about uh, Riley, and uh, back in the day, he used to help him out with his uh, religious and practices. And so, uh, Father Paul starts telling the story to Riley that he knows, where he says that one day, uh, an altar boy came up to me, and we were preaching about resurrection on Easter. And uh, the altar boy hands me this rat, and it's completely dead, and Riley, and the boy asks if he could if God could resurrect this rat like he did with his son. 
And so what I told the boy was, come back in three days and your rat will be risen again. And so three days later, I give the boy a rat and God performed a miracle. Now, Riley, who is obviously the boy in this story, uh, points out the obvious fact to Father Paul that clearly he had just replaced the rat. And Father Paul admits this. He cops out to it pretty quickly, which I find very hilarious. He's like, yeah, of course. Yeah. I mean, it took me three days to find a new rat. It took me, it took a while to get, it took, cost me about 15 bucks or something like that. But wasn't that a miracle in of itself? Because that that little act that I performed was enough to sustain uh, that altar boy's faith for about 30 years, you know? And so the way he sees it is it's a miracle. But again, what it's built on, what well, the whole thing, what it's built on is it's this lie, right? It's this falsity. Uh, and and what it really boils down to, what the real issue of the show is for Father Paul, is that he's playing God. And I find that that, that kind of, even though it doesn't really matter how well his intentions are, the end result is he is playing God. And the end is a result of that is there will be consequences and there will be, uh, there is issues. And so while the show, I do believe, can get a bit preachy and can be, um, the monologues can be quite a lot and, um, it can kind of be all over the place. I mean, you listen to this podcast. I mean, my monologues are all over the place. But um, even though uh, the show has issues in that way, which I think, and uh, the theming is a bit heavy, I think that ultimately it was maybe one of my favorite shows of 2021, which is why I've been going back and forth and desperately trying to get this uh, podcast out for this. But uh, horror doesn't necessarily need to have like a great big theme either. Um, I don't. Like in some rare instances, I think that horror works well when you just kind of present a situation to somebody and say, like, look, just like embrace this. And so the last thing I want to talk about in today's podcast is I want to talk about a game I've been playing recently. It's called Subnautica, and it is the most horrifying game I've ever played in my life. Now, what's interesting to me about Subnautica is that it is not necessarily supposed to be a horror game. I think in some elements, I think it was kind of a mistake that it got made into a horror game. Uh, and what ended up happening... So what Subnautica is, is it's a game where you crash land on this planet uh, that is completely... That is pretty much 100% water. Uh, your ship crashes. It's called the Aurora. You're on a life pod, and you have like this kind of advanced technology from like billions of years in the future where you can like fabricate and make different materials. Uh, and it kind of plays... I guess the closest comp would be uh, no... Uh, no Man's Sky, where you kind of have like this base building things that you could do. Uh, you can eventually make little, um, uh, they call it the sea moth, uh, little vehicles that you can use to transverse the water. And overall, like base, base wise, I think that that by itself is a really interesting and fun game. But what makes this game stand out in the horror element is that I think is that it creates this this really isolating sense. You're the only person out there. There's nobody else to interact with, and your goal is just to survive in this ocean. And as you start out, you start off in a nice little reef. You're all happy-go-lucky. You're catching fish. You're having a grand old time. But eventually, you're going to want to get off this island, right? Uh, get off this planet. So... So what do you do? You start going a little bit deeper into the water and you start going even. And as you get more and more confident, you think, oh, okay, like maybe I can, maybe I can explore the Aurora. Maybe I can go to like these different places. And as you start going, you start realizing that there are things in the, in the ocean that are just way too big to deal with. And so the game becomes this very, 
this very intense experience especially when you run into some of the creatures that you run into it is so incredibly scary um the other day i was playing this game for like eight hours straight and at this point you know like i played this game for a couple weeks now and at this point i was like okay i'm pretty i'm pretty good like i'm not really afraid of anything and then all of a sudden i ventured out into this one area that i knew was kind of dangerous and as I ventured out there, I was like, well, I was like, hmm, I wonder, I wonder if this thing is going to be behind me. And I look behind me and there, lo and behold, there it was. I literally, it was like in the middle of the night, I screamed and my roommate came knocking on my door and was like, David, what's going on? I was like, I, you know, like, I was just in tears. It was uh, not really, obviously, but uh, it was just this very, this very visceral response. And I think horror in a way, like, to me, the fear of the unknown is just such an interesting concept. Uh, it really got popularized by H.G. Uh, uh, Lovecraft uh, for bad reasons. H.G. Lovecraft notably uh, wrote uh, The Call of Cthulhu. And every time I hear recaps of that story, I do get spooked out because I do think it is just kind of creepy. Uh, but then you hear about H.G. Lovecraft's life and like, how he was pretty much a racist and you kind of get bummed out by that but i do think i do think this interesting idea of cosmic horror and fear of the unknown is just so interesting and hearing and i think that's what really uh fascinates people about like ghost stories and about all these different things that go on and so and so what what subnautica does is i think it really captures that fear of the unknown because because there's not really anything that you can do with Subnautica as far as like offensively, like against some of these creatures. Like eventually you can build like torpedoes and stuff like that and and attack the creatures, but it doesn't really do any good to like there's no real prize for killing these creatures, right? The real prize and the real uh, progression system in the game is really building out uh, different things and eventually building a rocket ship to get off the planet. But the creatures themselves, they're just like these terrifying forces of nature, and you really don't have much defense against that. And that's what I really love about the game. Um, and yeah, and that's pretty much it. Uh, those are the three games that I've been, I've been, uh, those have been the three things that I wanted to talk about today. Uh, I guess other things that I want to talk about is that um, I am thinking about doing more streaming. Um, I don't think I'm going to be a gaming streamer per se. Uh, like if I do do uh, game streams, it'll be more board games and stuff like Board Game Geek because I really don't like just people watching me play a video game because for me, that's kind of like decompressing time and I don't think it's that entertaining. Uh, my favorite streamer uh, is actually Ludwig and I think what he does in his React content and uh, he recently did a video that I watched today where he was like uh, talking about cancel culture and how in some ways it doesn't really work yet still was very funny and very engaging in his video um, and I thought that that was like really smart so I'm going to try to think of ideas like that to do for any uh, lasting streams. Um, other things is that I've been training for uh, the half marathon. I'm probably going to go to the gym tonight, even though I really don't want to. Uh, but I also don't want to die when I do my half marathon. So that's kind of my main motivating factor. Uh, I've been watching a lot of Vox Machina. And recently, it's kind of been a horror show uh, as of late, uh, if you've been keeping up with the recent episodes. But I've been really enjoying it. Uh, what Vox Machina is about is it's like uh, it's like Dungeons and Dragons, uh, but it was uh, created by by a bunch of different voice actors who uh, were playing actual Dungeons & Dragons, and then they ended up uh, uh, doing uh, the show. 
I've uh, been learning a lot of Spanish with Spanish co- podcasts. I might actually do a whole episode uh, talking about Spanish and Spanish content because I do think it's really interesting. Uh, I've been watching a lot of this uh, show called Destinos, which you can find on YouTube, but don't tell me, don't tell anybody else I told you this. Uh, what, what Destinos is about is it's about this family um, that has like this great family secret and uh, uh, this main girl, I think her name is uh, not Rosario. Uh, starts with an r i can't remember it right now but anyway she's like investigating for the family because she's like the family lawyer and what what the show is what makes the show interesting is it's kind of like a spanish learning show but you also get like this fun telenovela uh drama out of it so i would uh highly recommend watching watching uh, destinos too if you get some free time um I watched a recent episode of uh, Never Have I Ever. Uh, It was pretty good. It gave me this kind of warm, fuzzy feeling that uh, I've been missing uh, since I've kind of watched the first two seasons of Kim's Convenience. I still want to finish Kim's Convenience, but I hear that after season two, it kind of becomes a little bit more messy as the show goes on. So I'm kind of looking... I'm kind of looking for something else. Never have I ever has been pretty fun watch. I like, I especially like the main uh, girl character because she is, she is presented with a lot of flaws that I really, and to me, I think that what makes any good lead work is like seeing their flaws and seeing them kind of work through it. You know, that's what makes, uh, that's what makes a good lead for me. So um, other than that, uh, I do have a Patreon. If you want to help support the podcast in that way, that'd be really awesome. Uh, if you like hearing the sound of my voice, uh, I'll try to. Um, I, I'll tentatively say that I will try to get this out on a weekly basis. Uh, I have a couple more podcast episodes to record uh, tonight, so this will be the first of three, and we'll end up uh, we'll end up trying to release that in more batchy episodes since, and try to get that out to you. I think that the format works, so we'll we'll see, we'll see, we'll see. And then if you really love to hear my voice, you can follow me at Twitch at David Shire, uh, twenty two. And also David Shire twenty two at all other major uh, or David Shire at all other major um, functions. Anyway, this has been David Shire, and that's how it's going so far. <laughs>